Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. How delightful it is to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got an odd item indeed. As you take a look over here, this may look like a simple grocery bag, a plastic shopping bag. Uh, it, it's not the normal fare that you would find here at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Here, let me set this back down. It's a, it's a bit hefty, maybe close to 10 pounds. That's about the weight of a human head, isn't it? But yes, this is not the usual fare you find at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Our pieces are usually things of antiquity, things that are uh, quite rare, things that are quite bizarre. And this uh, nondescript uh, plastic grocery bag, what is so bizarre about that? Well, it is the contents that one might find inside said bag that are really at the heart of our episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new Shudder original, Watcher. So when I first saw Shudder released Watcher on their streaming service, I believe it was August 26th, so uh, about a week or so ago, I, I saw the description and I thought, ah, I, I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, serial killer movies, uh, while it is certainly horrific and a certain genre of horror, I just didn't know if I if I cared if I watched it, but then I started hearing a little buzz about this movie, and I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. The director was interesting, Chloe Acuno. This is her feature-length directorial debut, but if you watch the uh, anthology film VHS 94, uh, she actually directed the Storm Drain episode in that, which uh, featured the uh, Ratama character which uh, it was it was quite scary I, I think there were some aspects that i think went a little long and went into things i didn't think it needed to go into uh, for scares but the the storm drain the down in the sewers part of that feature on vhs 94 was actually it was quite scary and quite atmospheric and quite chilling. So uh, she did a good job with that. So I was really interested to see what she could bring to the table with a feature film. And especially feature film like this, which is uh, a big departure from the style and the subject matter of a, a featurette in an anthology like Storm Drain. Storm Drain uh, dealt with creatures. It dealt with the supernatural cults and ancient gods and that sort of thing and this is not that so i was really interested to see what she was going to do with this movie i was interested because micah monroe who of course uh, most notably a part of the film it follows which it kind of took a horror in a different angle than what most people were used to. It had a different feel to the traditional quote-unquote ghost story or haunting story. So it was really cool to see her in it. Burn Gorman is in this as well, and he's been in uh, so many things. He's got such an iconic look. And, and like I said, we'll, we'll kind of talk about these characters and these actors a, a little more here uh, in, in a bit. But the premise of this story is you've got this couple, Julia and 
and Francis. Of course, Julia played by uh, Mike Monroe, Francis played by Carl Glusman. Francis gets this promotion within his company and is sent to be a part of the company's division in Bucharest, which is the country where his mother is from. So uh, Francis is no stranger to Romania. He speaks Romanian. So they move there uh, as a part of this move for Francis's company. And automatically, Julia is the fish out of water character because while Francis, uh, he's not from there, but his mother is from Romania and he speaks the language fluently, she does not. So we're really, throughout this whole movie, we're kind of put in her perspective as, as a viewer because they don't put any subtitles for the lines that are spoken in Romanian. Uh, so you don't know what people are talking about, what people are saying, just like her. And you find yourself just like her saying, did, did they say something about her? Are they talking about her? And she doesn't realize it. You really find yourself in that position and you really find yourself kind of isolated just like her because not only does she not understand the language uh, she's alone she doesn't have any friends she makes a, a an acquaintance with the woman next door but other than that she is all alone she's an out-of-work actress and she has no job to go to so she just spends her time by herself essentially we also find that in bucharest this this place where they're living there is a serial killer that is beheading its victims uh, on the loose and you find them running across the crime scene one night uh, you hear news reports about this serial killer and things are things are going okay as they move into this apartment until julia one night is looking out their window and sees in the building across the street from them that there is somebody in the window staring at her. You can't make out who it is because it's a dark room with almost like a single light and there's kind of a, a gauzy curtain over this window so you can only make out uh, a bit of a silhouette a little bit the little bit of the light reflection off the face but you really can't tell who it is it's probably a guy but it creeps her out and then julia all of a sudden starts having these experiences where she feels like somebody's following her not to mention uh this person that's in this uh, apartment building across the street staring in her window is it the same person are they two different people is it the serial killer uh these are all questions and the mystery that's kind of built up uh, around this story now i'm going to try to be as unspoilery as possible this is going to be as spoiler free as possible and then kind of when we get to the end i'll give you my my thoughts on the movie and then i'll kind of talk about the big reveal and the big kind of sort of twist ending uh that you get at the end and it's not even really a twist it's more of a revelation i think they could have done a twist here but they didn't and and i'll talk about that as well what what i think they they could have done and could have easily done but they showed some restraint chloe okuno did uh i think the right thing with this story in not having a big twist ending so we'll, we'll talk about that coming up but first i want to talk about micah monroe as julia I, I really liked her in this role because you really felt for her through this whole thing because she is in this foreign country uh, like i said does not speak the language 
does not have a job. Like I said, she's an out-of-work actress, but uh, she's kind of getting away from acting because she just felt like it wasn't for her. Uh, so she's just trying to find herself. And now she has to find herself in a brand new country where, again, she does not speak the language. She doesn't know anybody. All she knows is her husband. And he's so caught up in his work in trying to, like anybody who's in business, uh, trying to justify his job job by doing a good job and 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 putting in the extra hours and rubbing elbows with the with the big wigs and bosses and trying to make good impressions and we'll talk about this Francis character coming up but he's not a bad guy he's just not around and we have Julia who is so alone and then she starts having these experiences with this person that seems to be following her and like i said you know she doesn't know is this the serial killer is this the same person across the street that's been staring at her there's a scene with a where the police is called and the cop is is like uh, so is the person following you the same person that is staring at you and she's like uh i don't know i think i think he might be <laughs> and he's like you think you know, it's it's got to be a yes or got to be a no. The police can't do anything based on, I think this person might be following me, or I think this person might be in the apartment across the street staring at me. I think the person following me and the person staring at me are the same people. And that's where you find this character comes into some misunderstandings because she knows she's being followed. We know that she's being followed. We know that something is wrong, but she never really has any proof to any of it. So her boyfriend or her husband, I should say, can only be so supportive for so long. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about uh, his his role in all this and his perspective, but she doesn't feel like she's being heard. And I think that's a, a big mess. This is very much a, I don't want to say a feminist movie by any stretch, but it does uh, speak to some issues that women do have where they're, they're saying things and they feel like they're not being heard by their husbands, by their boyfriends, by authority figures. And that's where Julia is throughout the, the most of this movie. She knows what's going on, but she can't prove any of it. And it doesn't mean that it's not going on. And, and then that's the, that's the scary thing is how do you, how do you prove what you're saying or, or, or should you have to prove what you're saying? Do, should people just take it at face value? That's, that's really the conundrum right there. Because when people just start taking things at face value without any proof, that's when uh, mistakes are made and you get uh, witch hunts. But on the flip side, you know, she she obviously knows there's something going on. And if nobody takes her seriously, something bad could happen. So it, it really, uh, that's one of the things I love about this movie is the fact that it really just opens up a dialogue for talking about this sort of issue that is not really a, a black or white issue. Uh, there's no, this answer's right and this answer's wrong. There's, there's always some gray area in the middle where things need to be figured out. But, but it really poses a lot of great questions. And Michael Monroe uh, plays this part spectacularly because you, you do feel that loneliness inside of her. You feel like even from the beginning, she, she has some issues. You know, there's a reason why acting wasn't for her. And there's a reason why she, she stopped doing that. And, and you never really get a sense that she knows 
what she's going to do next. What is going to be her her next career? You, you get that sense about her because it's never discussed. And and that's that's a tough thing for anybody is to be kind of just in between careers and just not knowing where you're going, feeling like you're floating adrift. And you get that feeling from her and her facial expressions and her mannerisms and in the tone of her voice. And when she gets caught up in this uh, whole event where she feels like somebody's staring at her from across the street, uh, she feels like uh, somebody is following her. And we know these things are true, but when nobody else sees it, uh, you almost get the feeling like people could think that, well, maybe she's just doing this for attention because she's bored. We know that's not the case in this movie, but you could see how people could eventually stop believing, you know, like I said, when there's no uh, tangible evidence to the contrary, it's easy to see where a person like Francis could finally be like, okay, enough is enough. And that's where we find the Francis character played by Carl Glusman. Uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, I'm horrible with names, so probably I'm not. But but the Francis character is a, he's a good guy. And, and another thing I really liked about this is because they could have played the Francis character like the typical uh, boyfriend or husband in this type of movie who's uh, a bit of a lout, a bit of a cad, probably has a girlfriend on the side, cares more about his work than he does about uh, his wife. And that's just not the case. He's very supportive. He's very believing in her at the beginning. You know, he, he wants to figure this. He wants to protect her. He calls the cops. He does all the right things. He's very supportive of her. And it's only until we get to the end when there's just, there's nothing supporting these claims that she's making that he finally kind of snaps because she's going a little bit crazy and she kind of breaks down at a work function where he's trying to impress his bosses. And that's not to say that you should put uh, impressing your boss above your wife or your girlfriend or anything like that. But but you can see, that's the one thing I like about this. It's very ambiguous. He's not a bad guy. Francis is not a bad guy. And you can see where, okay, maybe... There's no proof. He's not been given any tangible evidence that somebody is following her. There's a scene where it even makes things feel like it was a big misunderstanding in regards to who she thought was following, who Julia thought was following her. So you really kind of sympathize with this Francis character that, okay, yeah, I see how he could maybe be very supportive and believe her, but then eventually that kind of wears away and that kind of uh, chips away once she starts to get a little more manic and once she starts to lose her cool so to speak, and start acting crazy. And there again, it also leads into other questions of, you know, why is it when women get excited and, and upset, we, you know, people think they're crazy. I, I mean, like I said, there's a lot to unpack in this movie and a lot of discussion that this could really open up and makes you think about, you know, perception and how people perceive each other in regards to to men and women. So uh, there's a lot going on here. And, and I just like how... Chloe Akuno did a great job with balancing it. So it didn't really feel like uh, she's the good guy and he's the bad guy because he's, uh, you know, the boyfriend that just won't listen to her. Uh, it's very nuanced in how relationships actually are and how people actually are. And I, I didn't even mention this. Of course, uh, Chloe Akuno uh, not only directed it, but she did write this movie as well. So like I said, uh, she just did a, a great job in, in balancing these characters and making them feel 
feel real. We also get another character, Irina. She's the next door neighbor that befriends Julia, played by Madalena Ania. And she did a really good job. She's not in this movie a lot, but uh, she kind of plays the cool next door neighbor that uh, borders on the line of, of being trouble and being very supportive. She has a boyfriend that, or an ex-boyfriend that's always banging on her door, but she's like, oh, he's a pussycat. He, he, he's loud, but he's not a problem. So you, you can tell this woman just sometimes invites trouble and, and could be trouble. But then again, like I said, she's very supportive of Julia and uh, she translates for her when some of the neighbors are speaking Romania and Julia has no idea what they're saying uh, when Irina is around she'll translate and they they kind of bond over that until she eventually goes missing and Madalena and you, uh, pl plays this part really well like I said there's there's not a lot of screen time and there's not a lot of nuance to her character but I think for what she was asked to do for this character uh, she played the part really well the one actor I really loved seeing this was Byrne Gorman uh, who plays uh, Daniel Weber and while you may not know the name you've seen this guy in uh, a ton of of different movies and television shows he had a part in dark knight rises he was in crimson peak pacific rim uprising uh he was in the enola holmes series or, or movie on netflix he played carl tanner in a few episodes of game of thrones he was the marshal in the man in the high castle he was in the halo series and also the expanse so the guy's been all over the place and in tons of different like i said movies and tv series and has such a distinctive look but he plays this character who yeah you just you don't know what is going on with him is he just a weird creepy guy uh, a weird creepy neighbor or is there something more sinister about him? Is he actually following Julia? Is he the guy in the, the window that's staring at her? You just don't know. You don't get any lines of dialogue from him until late in the in the movie. And then, of course, there's that subway scene uh, where he and Julie are sitting there talking. And it's just so creepy. And the whole thing with the grocery bag that he's always carrying. There's a bit of not even a reveal in that. Uh, that scene on the subway, but there's the illusion to something that is just creepy and sinister. And th that scene, I mean, there's a lot of tension throughout this whole movie. Uh, they, they do a lot with building tension. Uh, but that scene, probably one of the most tense scenes in the whole movie. And that grocery bag, uh, just the, the glances to that and the cutaways to that bag just are so chilling and we find ourselves in julia's position of not knowing what's in the bag what the hell is in the bag and it's such a a brilliantly shot scene it plays on the the tension and the chills that really make this a really good movie now, I'm not going to talk about the climax because that subway scene really leads to the, the big climax of this movie. But uh, I do have to say the, the reveal at the end is probably not something that you shouldn't be expecting. But the reveal is still as chilling and frightening as 
as it would be if it were a big twist ending. I don't think it needed to be a big twist ending. I'll talk about in the more spoilery section of this uh, episode uh, what I think they could have done, and I'm glad they didn't do, uh, but something I thought might have been a, a, an opportunity to to give this thing a twist, but, uh, but it didn't need it. I mean, this was just a straight-up horror. Uh, straight up serial killer movie and I was talking to my wife after I watched this trying to explain the movie to her and all I kept thinking about is the line from that Nirvana song and I'm not a huge Nirvana fan but I like this song Territorial Pissings it has that line in it just because you're paranoid don't mean they're not after you and that's that really rang true with me on this movie because that really was the the glut of it just because you're paranoid just because you may be going a little off your rocker thinking somebody's following you somebody's after you uh doesn't mean they're not so ultimately i really like this movie like i said it really played off a lot of isolation and tension it really put you in the shoes of the protagonist julia with that isolation i I love the decision not to give any subtitles to any of the romanian uh spoken in this movie because like i said that just it made you feel what julia was feeling what are they saying are they talking about me Uh, what's going on Uh, that was such a brilliant choice uh i like the fact that they really played off a lot of the a lot of the tension of being followed there were some things like one of the earliest scenes of her feeling like she was being followed i thought maybe should have been done later because uh, the movie theater scene was just creepy as f and i thought it you know the the creepiness of her being followed should have built up a little more and that was to me one of the creepiest scenes other than the subway scene and i think Maybe that should have been placed a little later. I understand why Chloe Acuno uh, didn't put it later. I get it. But I think if you're building tension, I think that would have been like maybe one of the straws that broke the camel's back that really would justify the crazy, oh my God, somebody's following me uh, feel that Julia gave off. But ultimately, that's just a nitpick. I really enjoyed the the tension building, the creepiness, the atmosphere. I mean, this wasn't an atmosphere movie in location and and dim lights and fog on the moors sort of thing. But it, it felt uh, atmospheric in the sense of dread at julia being watched constantly you know these this apartment has these big glass windows so anytime you're in that living room with her you just feel like maybe somebody's on the other side of that window staring in at her and that created an atmosphere of tension that you really felt it throughout this whole movie and the movie moves along pretty good it's only like an hour and 36 minutes so it's not a terribly long movie uh there were a couple scenes that were I don't know. It felt unnecessary at the time where she decides to start following the person she thinks is is following her. Maybe that wasn't quite necessary, but but it was still uh, interesting in learning about uh, one of the other characters and actually a couple of the other characters. So I, I see why it was in there, uh, but really. Pacing wise, I thought this moved along pretty good. Nowhere did I feel bored. There was enough of a mystery as to what the hell is going on. Who's following her? Who is this person that's looking in from across the street? Is it the same person that's following her? Uh, It really 
uh, gave you enough to wonder about, enough mystery to ponder on, to you really never had an opportunity to, for your mind to just kind of get distracted and, and take you out of the movie, I felt. And while this isn't a horror in the traditional sense, in blood and guts and gore, there is some gore in this. There is a, a, a kind of a gross scene at the end that, uh, that'll sate your appetite for a little uh, blood and dismemberment if, uh, if that's your thing. And that reveal is kind of interesting and cool. So I enjoyed that. So I, all in all, a pretty good movie. I, it's not the greatest movie ever, but I think it's a really solid movie. And I think a, a real accomplishment for Chloe Kuno in her feature-length debut as a director. And, and again, I know I've said this a lot about some of these Shudder movies because a lot of these movies uh, are from first-time feature film directors. And I look forward to, to seeing what else she brings to the table, especially in the horror genre, because I like that she's shown some diversity with this. She can do the the creature feature, like the Storm Dream segment in VHS 94. She can do the, the weird supernaturally type story, but she can also do something like this. It's more psychological, uh, more of a thriller, more of a mystery, more grounded in reality but still has that horror sensibility about it. I, I really like the diversity there, and I'm interested to see uh, what else uh, Chloe Kuno uh, brings to the table, not only as a, a screenwriter, but as a director as well. Now, here's the point in the show where we're going to dive into some spoiler territory because I really want to talk about this ending and how I felt about it, uh, some of the reveals and some of the things they could have easily done but uh, showed restraint and did not do. Uh, so if you don't want anything spoiled for you, now's the time to bail out and maybe come back to this part of the show when you've watched Watcher. So one of the things I really loved about that subway scene was the fact that they keep cutting to this grocery bag and you almost feel like you can see the where it kind of juts out. Okay, that could be a nose, and then the, the bag kind of sinks in where that could be a mouth, and it's in the right proportions from where the nose would be to where a mouth would be. You really feel like there's a head in this bag. And every time we see this uh, Burn Gorman character, Daniel Weber, uh, he's always carrying a grocery bag. And <laughs> when you see this subway scene towards the end, you realize that, okay, maybe... Maybe there's a head in this bag, a severed head, and maybe every time we've seen him with a grocery bag, it's been a severed head inside of it because maybe he's the serial killer. And just the back and forth, how he explains uh, his situation to Julia, and you almost start to feel sorry for this guy. Okay, maybe he was misunderstood. And then when he ends it with that very sinister and I expect an apology, uh, you're like, oh, maybe this guy's not... A nice guy and of course julia leaves and go back to the apartment and then irena who's been missing you, you hear the music coming from her apartment and you know that no good is going to come of this but julia goes there anyway and I, I love that big final showdown where you see irena's headless body and daniel has that that head and and how he kind of slashes julia's neck I, I i wasn't sure how to take that because uh it looked like he just nicked her 
on the one side, but then another scene she's holding her whole neck and and she's kind of going for that gun that she knew that Irina had. Uh, Irina told her about it, showed her it early in the movie. It's the old Chekhov's gun principle. You don't bring a gun out in the first act and, and not use it in the third, but you see Irina going towards that gun and that really creepy scene where she's lying there. We think she's dead. I, I don't know if maybe she was just playing possum. I kind of felt like she was playing possum the whole time, but she's, she's lying there. And then Daniel lies down beside her and mirrors her position on the floor. And you almost have this mirror image of her lying there and him lying there opposite of her looking at each other. And just it was creepy and just spoke to the weirdness of this guy. This guy has a lot of problems, a lot of mental issues to be a serial killer to begin with. But uh, I mean... You could probably do a whole movie on this character of Daniel Weber and dig into the psychology of why he's doing the things he's doing. I, I think it would make for a pretty interesting prequel if uh, Chloe Acuno wanted to do that because I think this is a bizarrely and disturbingly interesting character. But I love the the ending where he walks out and... He's got blood on his hands, Daniel Weber does, and Francis is trying to get into his place and he sees him and and realizes this whole time that Julia was right and that that guy was following her and that guy was the serial killer and they have this stare down and and all of a sudden we hear these gunshots and Daniel goes down and there's Julia standing there with a gun uh, with the action hero pose and you know she was playing possum and I, I just loved that whole ending and I love the fact that they used a lot of restraint and they could have done like some uh, twist ending but this really was I think a commentary like I said just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you just because Julia was paranoid and uh, felt that this Daniel Weber was looking at her from across the street following her around she didn't have any proof that she could tell anybody any tangible proof she could prove to anybody but just because she couldn't didn't mean it wasn't happening and just because she was paranoid about it doesn't mean that guy wasn't after her and i, I think that was a strong statement uh, given all of the dialogue that i think uh, should have been created by what went on prior about whether to believe somebody sight unseen or whether not to, whether to be, believe people without proof or whether to insist on proof and, and wait till something bad happens. I, I think the movie should encourage people to talk about these sorts of things. And I think the end of the movie, uh, you know, gives the okay to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, sometimes just because there's no tangible proof doesn't mean that something is not wrong and that things shouldn't be looked into. Now, they really could have done a twist ending. I kept expecting, uh, wrongly so, but I kept expecting it to be a situation where maybe Irina was the real serial killer and that Daniel Weber was the person across the street watching Julia. 
because maybe he had seen Irina do something and kill somebody being a serial killer, uh, doing serial killer things, and that he was watching Julia to protect her. And he was just a weird, eccentric guy who was taken to care of his father. And I kept expecting uh, Julia to be lured in by Irina and, and to be the next potential victim, being groomed as the next victim. And then we see the Daniel Weber character come over and save her at the end of the day. Uh, I'm glad they didn't do anything like that. And I think that would really kind of go against the whole, like I said, I, I don't think this is a feminist movie, but the idea of women being believed and being taken serious and having their concerns taken to heart. Uh, I think that would have kind of played against that, having the guy come and save the day. Uh, I, I understand why they didn't do that. And, and I'm glad they didn't do that. I liked that it was a straight up, this guy's a creepy F, and he was following Julia. We know that. There was that creepy scene in the movie theater where he kind of uh, moves in the seat behind her and breathes on her. Uh, again, I, I wish that would have been later because I think that would have been a nice buildup. You have some scenes where he looks like he might be following her. You have a scene where he follows her into the store. You have a scene where they're in the movie theater together and then that big subway scene. I think that would have been a nice progression of things, but uh, it still worked the way they did order the scenes with him following her. It still worked, I think. And I liked how it was just a straight up, this is a creepy fucking guy, and he's following her, and he is the serial killer, and she was right all the time, and people should have listened to her. Even though she was getting a little manic and going a little crazy, uh, getting a little paranoid about it, her husband should have continued to have the faith in her and the belief in her and the desire to to protect her and, and even even more so than that the desire to want to support her so this is definitely a movie that i've i've talked about this before it's a simple concept a simple premise a simple story simply told and that makes it really damn good you don't have to get into too many complicated twists and turns uh you can tell uh like i said a simple story and focus on the tension and focus on the characters and focus on what's going on on the screen and providing the right sound design and the right music and score and the right actors to portray these characters to really set a stage and set the tension and add a lot of chills without a lot of big bells and whistles. And I think that's what Chloe Yakuno did with this movie and did it quite well. Again, not the greatest movie I've ever seen, but it's still for like a serial killer movie. I thought this was done very well. An interesting story, interestingly told and told in a simple style that really was effective for getting the most out of the, the scares that were just inherent in this type of a story. So again, like I said, uh, this really makes me excited. I can't wait to see what Chloe Kuno has on the docket next. I know this had a brief run in theaters here in the United States and Canada. I don't know how it did as far as, I mean, I think this had probably a $2 million budget. Uh, I don't know if it's how it did in far, as far as making that back, but I know uh, as far as critical response, it's getting a lot of good reviews. And I think a lot of people are enjoying this movie, critics and viewers alike. I think it speaks a lot to the anxiety of females in regards to, like I said, just being heard 
And it's got a lot to unpack and a lot to really open up dialogue and get people talking. So I think it really uh, it hits on the horror. It hits on the chills and the atmosphere and the tension. It also hits on what it wants to say as well, I think. So again, like I said, uh, really excited for more from Chloe Kuno. Uh, she directed this. Uh, she wrote this. I mean, it's it's not all her. This is based on the original screenplay. It was a screenplay on uh, Zach Ford, and I'm sure she kind of adapted that. Uh, but you get a lot of great uh, producers involved with this, like Roy Lee. Acting was really good and really solid. I enjoyed that. Uh, you know, it's uh, a lot of actors that may not be household names, but they're actors you, you've seen uh, in various projects over the years who all did a really good job with this. So definitely uh, a movie you need to watch. And I encourage everyone to check it out. Uh, check it out on Shudder. Watcher. I really enjoyed it. Hopefully you, if you watched it, you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't watched it, please check it out. You'll, you'll do yourself a favor. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Watcher, the latest, one of the latest uh, Shudder originals. Speaking of Shudder originals, we got another movie that uh, just came out uh, late last week called Who Invited Them? Uh, another really interesting Shudder original film that we're going to be talking about on Thursday's episode. So you can find out more about that and all that we've got going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. Uh, we also have an Instagram uh, page as well. So check those out, of course, on Facebook. We keep you up to date with all that's going on with horror, fantasy, and science fiction, uh, with trailers to movies and series. We're always sharing articles from all over the internet and adding my two cents uh, about those uh, as well as a whole lot more so check that out odds bodkins curiosity shop on facebook as well as on instagram and no matter where you listen to this podcast please uh, follow it like it share it uh, download it, uh, especially share it, uh, get the word out to uh, share this with anyone, you know, that loves horror fantasy and science fiction and please leave a review five stars. would be awesome. We would certainly appreciate that. So until next time, thank you for visiting odds. Bodkin's curiosity shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!